with Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We do stream live at those times uh, at richarddugan.com, and uh, we also... Uh, podcast the programs. Yes, we do. We podcast them on SoundCloud, I, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as a bunch of other places. And we certainly hope that you will take advantage of the podcast. If you're listening to the radio program, I can tell you right now, you're not going to hear the entire interview because we only get 50 minutes on the radio. However, we are going to uh, talk with our guest, and we are going to let you have access to our guest via her website. We'll be giving that to you shortly. And we also encourage you to click on the name of our guest if you're listening to SoundCloud, or if you're listening in the player, we want you to go to the um, grocery cart there also, and that will take you to their website, uh, and you can continue your evolutionary process and continue growing and expanding and changing and transforming your life uh, for um, for I would say uh, a higher maybe a higher calling a higher life and what have you we're going to be talking in a matter of speaking we're going to be talking about that here with our guest uh, Julie uh, Kroll and she is the author of Fractured Grace Julie thank you so much for joining us here on the program Oh, thanks for having me. I love all those words you've already spoken. So enough has already been said. I can't wait to oh, jump into well, this content. Thank you so much for joining us on the program, folks. Join us next week when we have another program. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I should also let you know that this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. We're talking about perfect inner vision. It's the only place you actually have 2020 vision, regardless of what your current visual acuity is. And... Um, we want you to spend the time uh, going within, not only in this particular period uh, in our present where, you know, some of us are still kind of hunkered down at home, maybe, uh, or, you know, we're still under certain restrictions. Uh, we have to wear masks here in Santa Barbara, whether we're in or out and what have you. Um, we have to continue social distancing and it's kind of wearing on people and we get that. So find that place, that inner space, if you will, so that we can um, uh, we can all work together for a, a peaceful world. But we've got to find that within ourselves. But that's not all. When you go within, uh, no, I was <laughs> I was going to say you could win a brand new car. No, uh, actually, you will get information. You will get guidance. You will get support and encouragement from that inner voice. You can call it the divine, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. That's what it's there for. Please take the time. Now, Julie, uh, we're going to dive into uh, this, this wonderful book of yours uh, called Fractured Grace. A very interesting title um, because usually it's uh, through grace, if you will, that we were kind of... Uh, those who of us who are sort of broken, we kind of we sort of are able to reconstitute ourselves, so to speak, um, kind of like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. And by the way, there's an assumption that he was an egg. There's nothing in that line, in that fairy tale, if you will, nursery rhyme that says that he was an egg anyway. Um, but you said something in one of your videos that really struck me. And I'm going to throw this out before we jump into Fractured Grace, which ties to it, of course. But. 
You quoted, and I believe it was Einstein. I'm going to paraphrase it in my vernacular, as I've been sharing with people for the last, I don't know, 40 years, but with this program, 13. Nature is our greatest teacher. And I want you to take it from there in reference to that quote of Einstein that you have in one of your videos on your website and on YouTube. Mm, beautiful. Well, nature, wow, nature is our greatest teacher. I, I have no idea what I said in that video because I've done so many of them, but I will take off with from that place because literally we have this innate capacity within us that just like you're talking about that inner vision, that 2020, that we are literally made of this impulse of creation, Richard, and this designing intelligence of nature is within us. And it's, it's, it's encoded in our DNA. It, it's breathing our lungs. It's beating our hearts. It's, it's guiding our, our healing and our wholeness. And so just as the laws of nature outside, when we look out our window, are, are growing trees and blooming plants and, and creating fruit, we as well are part of that same designing intelligence. And so nature is our greatest teacher. If we can all go back to those basics we learn how to rest in our wholeness we learn how to follow that guidance we learn how to be more whole and create from that impulse from that guiding designing intelligence that lies within so um amen to your inner vision 2020 this is a part of the same intelligence that we're talking about and it is that intelligence that from, and this is just an observation on my part, it's that intelligence that has been placed there. There's a wonderful poem, if you will, by a gentleman by the name of Tiberius, and he, he wrote this poem uh, having to do with where shall we hide the truth from man? And um, I paraphrase this because it's kind of a long poem, so I don't want to drag this out. But basically, the gods, they've created man, but man is starting to get curious about his source, get curious about who he is and why he's here and where he's going, where he's been, and so on and so forth. And they say, you know, if they find out the truth, there's going to be hell to pay. We could, so to speak, lose our jobs. So they try to figure out where to hide the truth from man. And they talk about all the places. We'll hide it in the depths of the ocean. No, he'll find a way to go down there. We'll hide it at the top of the highest mountain. No, he'll climb the mountain. We'll put it here. We'll put it there. We'll put it in outer space. We'll do this, that, and the other thing. And no, no, no. Finally, one of them pipes in and says, I know where we'll hide it. We'll hide it in his heart. He'll never look there. That seems to be the case, doesn't it? That we seem to not only be afraid, but we've even been taught to be afraid to go within because it's supposedly this scary place that all the pain and sorrow and all of those things that have happened to us, we're going to have to deal with. And we don't want to do that because we don't want the pain. Your thoughts? Well, I love that analogy. I love that, um, that story, the, the myth of hiding it within, because literally, I, I think you're right. There's fear, but there's also a huge piece of the unknown. Um, when we have been born into 
an idea that we're separate. We've been born into a consciousness of separation where we see ourselves as separate from those gods that hit it within. We see ourselves as separate from the within, period. Mm -hmm. We see ourselves as separate from the earth and all other beings, inhabitants of this planet. And as the idea, the consciousness of separation has been maturing in, in our collective psyche for so long, we literally don't know that that wisdom is within. It's like those gods are out there somewhere. And so then that truth, that idea, that wisdom has to be in something separate from me. And so we're growing up as a species, Richard, we're growing up the idea of, um, you're right, the fear, the anxiety, but, but also this huge um, unoccupied sense of inner space where we've always looked outward and we've looked outside of ourselves for answers and solutions because of that idea of separation, we're coming back home to the heart Mm. and we're learning that we are indeed interconnected, interrelated. And those are even words that don't describe it because there is no separation, but we can only see ourselves in that wholeness when we embrace that inner wisdom and and literally that designing intelligence that we were talking about that it is within every cell of our being and you know when people take a look at the outer manifestation of what's happening in the world today in our country today in our respective cities towns and states and so forth uh, they're going you know i don't know i don't know what world you're living on julia but i i think you're out of your mind because look at what look at the hell that's going on But, you know, the thought that occurred to me as that thought came into my mind was, no, folks, there is real healing going on. There is. And I've been hearing people saying that this is after all of the decades, this is the turning point. This is there are people who say this feels different. They've been around for all of the other uh, transitional phases that we thought were it. And it's like whether it be uh, dealing with Black Lives Matter, whether it be dealing with um, uh, what's the other one, uh, the women's movement. I apologize for not remembering. Uh, oh, the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And every time we hear another story, we're thinking, okay, this will be the catalyst, and it isn't. And then another one, this will be the catalyst, and it isn't. And over and over and over and over and over again, it's like, when is this going to kick in? And some people now believe it's kicking in. And it's kicking in hardcore. This is part of the healing process, isn't it? This is part of the healing process. And, you know, Richard, when I think of all those stories, we're also really learning that these small steps are wake-up calls. This is a wake-up call for all humanity. And so this next story is it. This next story is it. But what's happening as, as we cannot deny it anymore, it's like, it's such an endemic wake-up call that's whole systems that's systemic that we can't just make an individual change or we can't just make a change in our own communities this is really whole systems change on our planet this is every system and structure that has existed on this planet was built in that consciousness of separation everything from the get-go. And now we can't even look like, I'll give you a a really simple example, Richard, but in our everyday lives, it's coming up for us to evaluate ourselves Mm -hmm. and in our beliefs and our boundaries that we've had on over the weekend, um, 
I was at a lake and a loved one of mine saw two kids on a jet ski and said, oh, there's two black kids on a jet ski. And I looked at this person really funny and just kind of like was in shock that that came out of the mouth. And he said, am I supposed to say colored people? And I said, you're supposed to say, look at those kids on the jet ski. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you know, was a, like, yeah, it's, that, yeah, it's just our, it's our invitation yeah. to wake up even yeah. more. When President uh, Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the comment was, of course, made over and over again. He's the first black president. But there was an interesting commentary by someone who said that the day that we are able to say that Barack Obama was the, what was it, 44th president of the United States, I believe that's correct, and no reference to race, then we will have grown up. Until then, we're still little children who do not understand. And I thought, wow, that's, that is really very profound when we continue to do that. Now, I did see one of these, um, one of these wonderful video. It's not actually a video. It's a podcast that people are putting up a video cast that, uh, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And this gentleman, uh, he was having people on who were asking the tough questions of the day. Okay. And one of the questions asked by his guest of him was, and the, the host was black, okay? And he was asked the question, what do I call you? If I'm going to refer to you as race, what do I call you, African-American? He says, no, because not all blacks are African-American. Some are Haitian, some are Cuban, some are um, uh, uh, from other parts of the world. He says, I'm black, period. And I thought that that was interesting, an interesting distinction, because I know that we have struggled with that. But going to your point, we need to get away from dealing with that. And I, I kind of deal with that, for example, with the LGBT community. Uh, we've had many of them on uh, programs on the station that I, I, gener- uh, that I um, manage, uh, that I, I'm operations manager for. And um, I basically came to, you know, I hear about all the personal pronouns that they want used. Each individual's got a different set of pronouns. I says, uh-uh, no, no, no. I have no problem with the pronouns. I want to know what your name is. That's how I will refer to you, by your name, not by some personal pronoun, because that's not yeah. personal. Yeah. Your name. And even just, even in just your introduction of that, Richard, that we have, we've had this unconscious um, conditioning where we even, you called them, them, you called them, them, mm-hmm. instead of just saying, you know, so, so they've named themselves the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. right. and, and they have their pronouns that what happens if we say Richard and Julie and, and the kids on the jet ski and those out marching, you know, it's like, yeah, we, it, it's time, it's time to evolve. You know, we're not only evolving our systems and structures, we're evolving our own consciousness and we're understanding that wholeness and that unity that we be. And the beauty is that the the value and the blessing comes in our diversity as unity and our unity as diversity. That not only do we have a different skin color, but we're gifted intrinsically with the ability to respond to the whole and to serve the greater whole. So if we start thinking about 
um, we have mathematicians, we have social workers, mm. we have, I mean, like, let's think really in our, the complexity of our diversity, that's not just skin color, but it's in our giftedness to serve the greater good, to serve the good of the whole. You recalled a movie uh, about the, uh, um, the moon landing, and it focused primarily on uh, several uh, black women who were, uh, what, um, I want to say mathematicians, but I mean, they were yeah. the higher. They were, yeah, yeah. the physicists. Exactly. That were, yeah. Exactly. And I, I love those stories because it brings out the fact that these people are, were an integral part in getting these men to the moon and home again. And that the men in this case, couldn't figure it out without them. They couldn't figure it out without them. And I love these stories um, because it continues to show the contributions that people of color and not of color, uh, of different, uh, 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 of, of the two sexes, of different sexual orientations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, contribute. And I, I, one of the other things, too, that I said to members of the uh, guests that we've had in studio who were of the LGBT community. Uh, I said, um, let me, let me uh, just say, first of all, you're a human being. You belong. Second of all, you're an American. You belong. End of story. There are no more separations. That's it. You're human and you're an American. And uh, I just, because it's like, my gosh, we just continue to divide and subdivide and, and then subdivide that, and we just continue to separate and separate. And I think that that's what's happening today is that we, as a people, both globally as well as nationally, are beginning to understand that there is no difference. I mean, my God, look at the contribution. Do you remember there was another movie about a, a gentleman in World War II in England who broke the German code by creating this massive machine, and he was gay, but he was white. So nobody questioned him. And it's like after the fact, they, 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 oh, he, oh, well, then we need to remove him from the history books. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, uh, so we need to, we need to begin to that, go to that uh, uh, space of, of inclusion from the standpoint that f first and foremost, we're all human beings and we all have a right to be here. We deserve to be here and to do the, play the role that we're here to play. And to that end, my guest here is Dr. Uh, Julie Kroll. She offers an impassioned spiritual perspective on global healing and the evolution of consciousness, which is part of what we talk about a lot on this program. You also demonstrate how an illusion of separation, as we've been talking about, is the root cause of widespread pain, suffering, and even necessary whole system breakdown in every aspect of life and your book a fractured grace it breaks through that illusion um and i want to stop there by by basically uh talking about this concept of uh, a whole system breakdown i talked with someone not long ago about that process of the inst current institutions i said that um so do you think that we need to tear down the old institutions and build the new ones and he says no do not tear down the old institutions Build the new ones that make the old ones obsolete, and they will crumble of their own weight. 
Um, and I, I, I think I agree with that. And that's what's happening now. People are, and I don't know, this is what, week three of the protests, as you and I are conversing, I believe we're into week three. And as far as I know, because I haven't really been watching the news that much, the protests are still going on, going on nationwide. And in different localities, they're changing the rules. They're changing the laws, uh, specifically in regards to the role of police, law enforcement in their communities. Some are even getting rid of them. Saying, no, you're, you're gone. We're going to go a different direction. We're not going to have police as they have been uh, originally established to serve and protect. We're going to go a different direction. When we got the COVID virus, uh, Julie, I was thrilled that they shut the country down. Not because they shut the country down, but because they did something different this time with something that became a pandemic. We have the influenza every year. We never do that. Why not? Oh, well, because it'll damage the economy. Really? And compared to what we've done this time. So every year we should shut down airlines and travel for two weeks. Two weeks. Because the flu usually runs its course in seven to ten days. Um, new ideas, new concepts, new ways of living. Talk to us about this. First of all, let's talk about grace. From your perspective, what is it? Okay, let me just um, first presence that quote because it's a beautiful quote from Buckminster Fuller that says you never change the things by fighting against the existing reality to change something, build a new model that makes the old obsolete. And it is an important concept for us to be thinking about today. So I'll get to Grace in just a second, but I really want to presence that that's part of the medicine, Richard, this mm -hmm. is exactly part of the medicine that we're looking at right now, that the systems and structures that are breaking down are breaking down because they are of that old consciousness and it no longer sustains us as a unified one planetary body that we are. So, so what is grace? <laughs> and, and look at, look at all the systems and structures. All of a sudden we're looking at our legal system and our criminal justice system. And it's really scary to think of, oh my God, what will happen if we don't have police? Who's gonna protect us? What's gonna happen? Oh my gosh, how do we, how do we live through the chaos and, and what's happening as, as these protesters are out there and, and literally every system and structure is in this place where there are people all over the planet, Richard, through grace, which I'm gonna get there, I promise. But there are every, every system and structure around the planet has people working on solutions that are making the existing systems and structures obsolete that are coming from this place of unity of wholeness of understanding and that are treating every individual with value and respect as as a part of the, the whole so so grace in my mind you know we already talked about the the beautiful designing intelligence of the universe i really believe that grace is the action of that designing intelligence. Grace is the benevolent gift. Some people put it in a religious context and you can do that by the grace of God. A lot of people, the Christian tradition, especially the Lutherans talk about grace as this, this action of forgiveness because we are, we just are, we are a being that's created within the body of Christ and therefore 
we are enough, we are whole, we are valuable, we are all of the above. And so as um, bringing grace out of any one container or one belief system and, and looking at it more universally, I do believe it is this action of this impulse of creation that's working through all of us at this time mm. and learning how to really sit back and relax, knowing there's a higher guiding intelligence that's lifting all of these issues up. That's, that's holding the, the healing response, this inflammatory response on the planet right now with the Black Lives Matter and the Me Too and, and everything that we're looking at, that literally there is a designing intelligence that's working to continue to wake us and to bring those emergent solutions that replace the old so that we literally are created not only just to survive hold on just a moment to understand you and welcome to i apologize something fired off on the computer that i'm working with uh go ahead and pick it up from uh go ahead and pick it up continue okay. go ahead so, so this grace and how I define grace really is the movement, the impulse, the action of this designing intelligence on the planet that's here to heal us, to bring us back into wholeness, to help us remember ourselves as one planetary body and wake to that unity, to that wholeness, to that oneness. Well, it is without a doubt a, a process and some people are really taking this to heart. They're going through the process. And I honestly do believe that some of the things that I've seen on the news of little news that I've seen of the protests uh, has been absolutely remarkable. Um, I, I've seen and it's interesting, too. And, and if we want to get into some of the specifics, that's fine, too. But just the, the one example, I remember when Kaepernick took a knee at a football game during the national anthem to make a statement about what the protests are about now. Now you're seeing everybody take a knee, which is wonderful. It's showing great respect. And the one thing that I thought of was, do you know that they do that when individuals are knighted? Do you understand that that genuflection, if you will, is a sign of respect, of submission, and of understanding of how important this particular ceremony of again knighthood is well when people are doing that now they are in my opinion they're kind of doing the same thing uh mm. and that we are seeing uh all sides all peoples and yet we're also hearing from other people are saying i will never take a knee it's like okay then you don't understand yet maybe one day you will and that's fine uh, you know, but one day you will. And, and um, we hope that we hope that comes along. Fractal gr Fractured Grace is uh, the title of the book. It's based on uh, Dr. Julie uh, uh, Krull's 30 plus year career as a healer, spiritual teacher and psychotherapist working with individuals, groups and organizations, interviewing and working with hundreds of evolutionary leaders and drawing on our own mystical experiences the book reveals how the radical applications of a heart heart-based soul-centric 
um, uh, lens can calm your mind, heal your body, create sustained peace, and jump our interconnected whole living system to a, a higher order. Um, I'm intrigued by this one section here about your mystical experiences. When did they start and can you describe some of them? Mm, yeah, sure, Richard. You know, it's funny when, when you asked that, um, I contributed to an article. Um, it's been a year and a half ago now where, where we were looking at interfaith um, responsibilities moving forward of how do we as, as religious leaders move our world forward in these times of chaos and crisis. And we looked at the mystical experience. So I'd love to share more about that because so often we put the mystical experiences in a box as well, Richard, we don't understand it. it you know, and, and we've literally labeled people insane um, who are perhaps having mystical experiences. And we, we are learning so much more about this. But I, um, I had a near-death experience at the age of four. Wow. And therefore saw, experienced a multidimensional reality that isn't in the ordinary consciousness of the three-dimensional world that we live in. And so when we talk about ordinary consciousness, we're really looking at mystical experiences as the non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so um, at the tender age of four, I began a whole new relationship with the divine and with my walk on this world. I learned how to literally walk in both worlds, if we want to even use a separation term mm -hmm. to describe what's happening beyond this veil that's right here right now. But um, began seeing, hearing, um, and my gifts fully opened with other mystical experiences. So at the age of 11, again, I was um, in this place of, of real pain and suffering and dejection from things happening in my per personal life, as well as watching the world around me. I was a precocious little girl um, from an early age of four and looked at humans and said, what the heck? I don't understand these humans. I don't know um, why they treat each other the way they do. I really don't want to be here. And um, what are we going to do about this? Mm. And from that early age of 11, then I was really given um, prophetic visioning and, um, you know, shown my place in what was going to happen. Kind of knew what I was going to do in my fifties when I was 11 years old and, and knew that this time on the planet was about um, us and this, this, this place of separation that we've been in and, and how literally we will wake up and we are waking up. And so, yeah, those mystical experiences started at a very young age and just are a part of my, my daily life. Do you feel that as we evolve as a society, that the concepts enumerated in our founding documents, specifically of individuality, and I'm just asking this because it has been said uh, by some of my other guests, that the fact is that there's going to come a point when people will begin to realize that individuality, freedom and liberty in that context, 
is irrelevant to the interconnectedness of us. Mm. And decisions a, decisions will be made based upon that. Yeah, this is a big one. Thank you for presencing that because it's a really big one. And it's it's really about sovereignty and liberty and freedom and individuality. But it's not about self-centered. It's not about that American dream where it's the, the old consciousness is that survival of the fittest. If I'm the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the wealthiest, the, the, you know, the, the most beautiful, then I can get to the top and, and literally be over those at the bottom. So this idea that's in our literally, um, wow, look at our constitution, look at the Bill of Rights. Look at, I mean, we can continue to go on and on mm -hmm. about how we founded our country, let alone all these organizations and, and throughout, throughout time here. So it's really about integrating and moving us into a new consciousness where we're thinking about the good of the whole. Mm -hmm. where we're living for the good of the whole. So it is that soul-centric place. It is that heart-centered place that we were talking about just a moment ago, that this isn't about self-centered me of, of my survival and having to be the survival of the fittest and do the American dream at the risk of literally putting others down or disparaging their liberation or their freedom or oppressing in any way. It really is understanding our autonomy, that beautiful diversity that we talked about, and bringing that to a level where we understand how to live for the good of the whole and what that really means. And I think part of what has brought that really forefront for me was actually going back to the 2016 campaign uh, where what I heard was victimhood. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, uh, during the 80s, I went through all of these personal growth programs and we dealt with victimhood <laughs> and it was my mother's fault, my father's fault, my the bullies in school. And then in the 90s, we began to start taking responsibility to the extent that I finally came to the realization that we're interdependent and that it is nobody's fault, that it is what it is. Uh, and I'm responsible from this point forward. I cannot blame someone else. And that's where I feel that this country has been for the last almost four years, if not longer, um, led by a man who wants to blame everybody else for what's wrong instead of taking responsibility and then also acknowledging what's right. I don't ever hear anything about what's right unless, of course, um, they take they take uh, a credit for it when they didn't have anything to do with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what I'm seeing now is people, whether they be protesting or whether they're hunkering down at home or what have you, and those especially who step up to try to help others, especially in relation to the COVID-19, the coronavirus and 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 other things of this nature. I mean, my goodness. You would think that initially, when this whole thing started, we're all going to die. We might as well be hit by an asteroid for an extinction event because we're all going to die. No, we're not. Some will, sadly. I don't want that, but it, it, it's what happens in, in life. Uh, and as my father once said, uh, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation. 
because nobody gets out of this world alive. <laughs> so um, are you seeing that? And I, I, I would take it. It's, it's hard not to see that. But I would take it that you are pretty darn optimistic about our future. I'm incredibly optimistic about our future. So let me just go back to that desperate um, place of looking at even the political milieu here and as you speak, because this is so important for people to really understand. A moment ago, we were talking about states of consciousness, those mm -hmm. non-ordinary states of consciousness. Right. Well, let me switch gears to stages of consciousness. And literally what we saw in that 26 election and what we saw, what we've seen in this administration since then is a level of consciousness that's more like tribal consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's really seeing the world from this place of separation. It's seeing the world in the, the hierarchical, patriarchal place of separation. And it's literally living out that old dream that we talked about. And we're already, the mass consciousness has already moved beyond that stage. Mass consciousness is seeing ourselves as universal beings. And we're in this universal stage of our consciousness where we understand our wholeness. We're understanding how we are interconnected. I am so darn connected to the climate outside as well as the rivers and the water. And that because I am that. I am mm -hmm. the waters. I am the river. I am you. <laughs> you and I are one in this expression of, of humanity and one planetary body. So many of us have already moved past that level of consciousness. And there's, it, it's not a place of judgment where we're, we're to put people down and say, well, you're at that lower level and I'm already advanced and it's a narcissistic thing. It's not that. It's understanding that the expansion of consciousness wakes us to these concepts of unity and, and universal wisdom that we've been talking about this entire time, Richard. And our administration is at a place where it needs to grow up with us and just like every system and structure that's breaking down, it's time to remodel our, our governance, mm -hmm. our, mm -hmm. our sense of understanding our governance as well, that that is in transformation and evolution as well. And so the old system doesn't serve all of us and it doesn't serve all of us for the good of the whole. I uh, was, would tell people that um, I got sucked into the political arena in September of 2016. It took me six months to get unsucked. And I went through three quick phases. I'll, I'll share them with you very quickly. And they are, number one was, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. The second phase was, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this malaise, this minutia. Third phase, what is it? that you're so afraid of that makes you behave this way, that makes you talk this way, uh, that makes you act this way. It's not a question of me wanting you to change. That's entirely up to you. I just want to understand. That's all. I just want to understand so that I can put this behind me and move on with my life. No longer expending my energies on something that is irrelevant. It's going to happen. I, I, what you just spoke of in terms of uh, reevaluating how uh, our government functions and uh, cares for its people. That's going to happen. I've, I've talked with people who say that uh, that's the reason why he's there. 
to bring that change about. He's not going to do it consciously. It's just going to happen because the people will say, "Uh, uh-uh, this is not how we want to be governed. I mean, you know. So, um, and the same thing with all of the institutions, whether they be educational or uh, uh, religious or even economic. Healthcare. Healthcare. Economics. But yeah. isn't that fascinating that people were more co- have been more concerned about our economy than our people? Now, they yeah. will say, oh, no, no, I'm concerned about the people because without an economy, the people can't, uh, can't feed themselves. And I say, and without the people, you won't have an economy. So the systems do have to change. They are unsustainable. They're untenable. They're unequal. They're unequitable, I should say. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the beautiful things. And the late Barbara Marks Hubbard, who I've had on this program a number of times before her passing, she told me back in 2007 that uh, we would go through the equivalent of the birth pangs as a mother goes through labor to deliver uh, the child. And that's what we're going through. But yeah. can you imagine? I, I I'm not a father. I you know I don't have any kids. Um, I have sisters who have children. They've given birth to children, so they understand what that's all about. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. and that's fine. Uh, as well as of course my mother, uh, but um, it's it's uh, 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 such a beautiful thing when this new creation enters the world maybe it's crying so what and the parents who birthed it who brought it into being oh my gosh they're beside themselves absolutely ecstatic over this new creature and so that's what we have to look forward to we don't want to put any expectations on it but isn't that that's where we're headed yes barbara mark Subbard says this crisis is our birth We are in a birth process, another chapter in my book. We're birthing the divine human. So even in your story of of September 2016, when you had your three-part prayer for, Mm -hmm. you know, being pulled into that malaise and and that minutiae, I've been talking about this is our time to, to be in the place where the mystery meets the muck. Because we don't want to get pulled into the muck. We don't want to get pulled in and lost in that minutia, that muck, that malaise that you're Mm. talking about. But it's literally our time to totally understand the integration of that mystery that we are divine beings. We are birthing the divine human. No longer are we in that place of separation. But this birth is our opportunity to fully embody this wisdom and intelligence and divinity that's within all of us. And coming to that place where the mystery meets the muck Mm. invites us to stay engaged there to not get stuck in the muck but to bring that higher understanding that higher level of awareness into the mundane into the muck into the streets where it looks hopeless and continue to to really ground that force of love and be that emanation of light on the planet right here, right now, in every situation. We are talking with Dr. Julie Kroll. She is uh, sharing with us uh, the work of uh, Fractured Grace. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And uh, we will be right back. And 
and welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm here with Dr. Julie Kroll, and we're talking about her book, Fractured Grace. Uh, I know that uh, it's a, a big subject for a lot of folks just talking about grace, period. Um, but it's one of those uh, it's one of those areas that we certainly do want to uh, to converse about because um, it's something that we we need a lot of. One of the things that has occurred to me is the uh, aspect of dualism. I have struggled with this and finally have come to uh, a, a peaceful, shall we say, resolution in my own mind about dualism. It's a fraud. Hinduism calls it an illusion. It's a lie. There is no dualism. Because when you start looking through the Hubble telescope at the cosmos, the macro cosmic universe, and you watch things moving around, Julie, you see explosions, you see supernovas, you see asteroid belts and things crashing into this and that and the other thing. And of course, you also see the new growth, maybe of a new planet and so on and so forth. And on the microcosmic level, you see kind of the same thing on the subatomic and atomic and cellular levels. You see all that movement. And we sit there and we go, ooh and ah, wow, that's we're amazed. We're astounded. We're astonished at how incredible that is. But when we see the same kinds of thing happening in our own world, it's either joy or fear. And I've begun the process of removing both of those words from my vocabulary uh, from the standpoint of saying there is no dualism. What's happening now isn't bad. It's not chaos. This is nothing more than part of the process. Your thoughts? Mm, I love that, Richard. Thank you. You know, I one one summer I had a conversation with that 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 inward space, that inward space where you were talking about. It's yeah. like I just was like I was asking how do we resolve dualism? What is this? How, you know, we have this prior unity and people have gotten in the mindset that, that that separation is creating this. And so I was really asking some deep questions in meditation. And, and that night I had this marathon dream. I, I love when I, this, this wisdom comes to us in so many different ways. There's a chapter of that in my book as well. And that and I tell the story. So I woke. I woke in the middle of the night, having this um, incredible uh, understanding of of how duality works on our planet. And it was showing me literally. It was this tangled web that looked like, you know, if we we think of dualism, we think of this um, continuum from black to white to good to bad. These opposites and every continuum and opposite is really just one continuum where we're moving and we're growing and we're, we're really creating more wholeness by navigating all these ways we create separation and, and dualism and, and look at our polarization on the planet. We don't have right and left. We have this understanding that's moving in different um different perspectives and different explorations and understanding ourselves and really playing in a field of saying, how connected can we be? How different can we be? How, you know, mm. and so 
really it's time for us to look at dualism as, as just a continuum that really flips upon itself. It's just one thing. Yeah. And we're just, we're playing in all the different ways that we can understand ourselves in this human form on the planet. If you watch a grandfather clock and you see the pendulum down below, if you were to focus on the face of the clock, all you'd see is the hands moving. But if you focus on the pendulum, it swings to the left and to the right and back again and back again. And neither of those sides that it swings to are good or bad. It's just that's what keeps the clock moving. Well, that pendulum we could talk about as um, what is. And that's what keeps things moving and flowing. That's why I, 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 I'm saddened and, and in a way, um, I don't know what the, other, what the other feeling is at the moment. When I see these programs about the hoarders, people who hold on to stuff. But see, we do that emotionally. We do that mentally. We do it physically, as we've just described. People do it monetarily. They, uh, they will hoard millions and millions, billions. Uh, somebody, I, I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Bezos of Amazon or somebody else who is fast approaching being the first trillionaire on the planet. Mm. And I sit there going, okay, I know I realize that it's not all in cash. Okay. But there's still a good portion of that that is in numbers in a bank account. And I'm going, I, I love what one, one person said. Uh, they, they had a, a great deal of wealth that they were giving away and they say, well, it doesn't do me any good sitting in the bank, so I'm going to see what I can do to help people with it. And, of course, he did this through hard work and a business that he created into a corporation and so on and so on and so on. And I just think, you know, we, we need to start looking at that pendulum. There's nothing wrong either way because if you stop the pendulum, i.e. you start hoarding stuff or emotions, you start stuffing them down, the clock stops running. Everything stops. Um, one of the wonderful analogies that was shared with me about, uh, for example, money, uh, finances is they use the example of, uh, your home's, uh, plumbing system and you have the supply line coming in and you have the sewer line going out. And if either of those gets plugged, then you have a problem. And I use that any, and this is funny for, for some folks, when I have plumbing problems and we're on a septic system, when I have plumbing problems, um, you know, in our home, I want to get them fixed right away because for me, that is a metaphysical symbol of, I got to get my financial situation in order. So I got to fix this plumbing problem too. You know what I'm saying? I love that. Yes. It uh, helps absolutely. to release. Yeah. You know, going back to that. So the pendulum, I, I, I love the metaphor of the plumbing is, and as you were talking about the pendulum swinging and feeling that pulsing of a heartbeat and the pulsing of life itself moving through us, that vitality, that, that vital life force that is giving us life abundantly. And when I think about that pendulum swing, often, Richard, it's like when we're on one side of the pendulum and we begin to move to the other side, it feels so extreme. It feels like, oh my gosh, the world's going to come to an end. But literally when we can look at it in its wholeness, as that pulse, as that, um, it's almost like priming our life into more fullness, into more joy, into more love, um, welcoming that, welcoming that pulse, welcoming that pendulum brings us into a place of greater 
health and well-being and really embracing the opposites, embracing mm. everything that we literally look outside of ourselves and say that's different from I. Um, we learn how to integrate that, bring it in and fully embody this as an expression of wholeness, as, as this embodied expression of wholeness. Therein lies um, another one of those perfect medicines for yeah. us in these times. And I know you would agree with me that for a lot of folks, that is that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough one to accept because... For many, they're really invested in the dualism. They're really invested in their position and their beliefs. I even heard something just the other day from one of my guests who says that if there's something that you believe in, you believe in a lie because you don't know it. You don't know it. And Greg Braden taught uh, in uh, us on one of his programs with us uh, when we were talking about his book, uh, The Healing Power of Belief. He says there's going to come a point when we're not going to believe anymore. We're just going to know. We yeah. will know that we know that we know. Yeah. And even today, you had these mystical experiences. There's no way in hell I'm going to sit here and challenge you and say, well, you know what? It says in the book that and so that didn't happen i uh, think you're delusional uh you got a brain tumor or something i don't know uh and you need to see a physician because the book doesn't say that that can happen uh-uh if you said it happened i want to know more about what happened uh i've interviewed people who have had near death and out of body experiences i even interviewed a, a gentleman he was a born again uh, bible believing fundamentalist christian who practiced the out-of-body experience on a regular basis. He could induce it. And I thought, wow, I think there's hope for the world because here's somebody who is, yes, believing the things that he's believing, which are fine, no judgment, but he's also incorporated into it something else that he has no problem with. I even asked him, I says, where in the Bible does it say you can do that? He says, nowhere. But that's not the point. He says, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about... Uh, the other world, if you will, and so forth. It's fascinating. So, um, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I took in during my 15 years of uh, broadcasting at a Christian radio station back in the 80s and 90s was do not ever challenge or judge someone else's experience. And if somebody else does, you just leave it alone. Because, and, and from my perspective, neither you have to, ju you don't have to justify yourself to me and I don't have to justify myself to you. I think that's one of the problems that we have is that we want approval so much and acceptance that we'll put our beliefs out there, hoping that people will accept them, right? And many times they're shot down. They're criticized. They're judged in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but we're, we're storytellers. I mean, that's what we do, right? And we want to share our experiences, I love James Redfield, who talks about uh, sharing our messages. That's really important that we do that because we both learn. And I, I put it this way, that, for example, Julie, with what you've shared with us here on the program today, I'm going to be able to put another piece or two or three pieces of the big picture puzzle that I'm building for myself and maybe have a greater understanding of something. And hopefully the same thing is true for you and for people who are listening. I mean, that's really kind of what it's all about is 
that self-understanding. Talk to us about that from the pr- perspective of that going within and listening to the still small voice and being open to listening and finding out about who we as individuals, as individuals, not so much connected, who we really are so that we can then better accept the connectedness to the rest of the world, to, to the rest of humanity. Beautiful. Um, thank you for that question. I think it's a really important one. And um, to tie it and pull the thread through about belief, um, what you bring right before that question is that literally as, as, we're, as we're trying to make sense of the world, beliefs come from our our, our mind and our that storytelling place that's trying to discern experience and then put language to it. And what we're really invited to is that place of no language, that place of no thing, this liminal space that doesn't make sense right now. And so how do we listen to that still small voice? I'm going to put it into um, terms that may sound really strange right now because this is what came through when you asked that question how do we go within and listen to that still small voice the the strange piece perhaps an introduction or an invitation is so how do we listen and move from that place mm-hmm. of the still small voice because the belief dictates a lot of our behavior you know how do we think feel and do mm-hmm. we come we have a belief and then all of our thinking, feeling, and doing comes from that place of our belief system. And what we're inviting people into now is a whole new worldview, a new whole world view. And so that wisdom that we presenced at the beginning of the show, that innate divine intelligence, that universal intelligence that's inside that still small voice, we allow that to lead. See, we could put all of our beliefs on the bookshelf. We can, we can let go of all of our beliefs, put them down and tune into that designing intelligence. And then we allow that to lead and co-create with that voice. That's the new invitation. This is a Barbara Mark Hubbard piece too. It's like, how do we literally, um, go to that higher designing intelligence and embody that and then come with others listening to that voice, listening to this field that's here informing us. Jude Curavan says, we don't have consciousness, we are consciousness. So this unified field of consciousness is continually informing us as we inform the field with our then thoughts, words, and deeds in response to that. So this reality that we create, if we can put down our beliefs, it will be really this benevolent gift of grace for all of us that we can create beyond our imaginings because those beliefs create a finite, limited perspective of who our understanding of the world, who we are and and our own capacities. But when we put those beliefs down, like you mentioned, we step into that infinite field. We step into our infinite capacity to co-create with that designing intelligence. And that, my friend, has no limits. You know, you, you've opened up from my perspective. <laughs> I love it. 
you've opened up the Pandora's box. That's what you've done. Because uh, we, we're both sitting here and we're throwing out these quotes from these people that we've read or heard about. And there's another one that I heard about from a documentary um, that deals with something a little more esoteric we won't go into. But basically Schrodinger. People, a lot of people have heard of Schrodinger's cat in the box and there was the poison in there and blah, blah, blah from the Big Bang Theory. I'm sure every, most people have. But there's one that they haven't heard. And Schrodinger apparently is quoted as saying, and I'm paraphrasing, that there is only one mind or only one consciousness. And we, as individuals, are all tapped into it. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, that is, that's wild to think that there is only one mind, which actually, and, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with this particular book, uh, it actually goes to um, uh, describe what is said in a book that was given to me on my 21st birthday by a dear friend of mine who has since left this world. Called The Impersonal Life by James Banner. I think it goes back to like 1933. One of the chapters, or actually throughout the book, it's it's constantly, it's like God talking to you. And uh, basically, it says, you know, the thoughts that you think you think, well, you don't think them. They're not yours. They're mine. But I let you think that they're your thoughts to appease your ego and so forth and so on. And and that nothing that we do is outside of the one mind. And it seems to me, um, isn't that something that they refer to as the singularity? That would be the singularity, that would be prior unity, that would be really our entire conversation of looking at, I love that book, by the way, The Impersonal Life, one of my favorites. It's, um, I have several copies and one is mostly yellow ink from highlighting. It's kind of a fun, short, easy read um, for those listeners that haven't seen that book. But literally that, that piece that you're bringing through of the one mind is exactly what science is now showing us. So, so that the wisdom traditions, the spiritual traditions from, from way, way back have been teaching this for so long, whether we see that as God or, or our Buddha mind or whatever we want to look at. But now science is bringing in direct evidence of this very thing. It's just when Jude Curvan says we don't have consciousness, we are consciousness. It's that same one mind that we're talking about we bring it in we discern through different filters we bring it in through our unique personalities and our different life experiences and so therefore it's interpreted differently it looks very differently and you know it's kind of fun to play with that idea but indeed if we are all of that one mind here having an experience and we begin to listen deeply to one another and we learn to relax into that oneness of the one mind and put the pieces of this puzzle together great wisdom is right in front of us and all the solutions that we need for these global crises that we face today are right here right now 
Absolutely. And and I have often used the analogy <clears throat> from Star Trek to describe this interconnectedness. And even now I can see the one mind in it. Uh, there's a character in the Next Generation series uh, that maybe Roddenberry didn't intend as this uh, a metaphor, but I see it. And that's the Borg. Individuals taken from all over the galaxy, outfitted with all kinds of hardware, and then uh, hooked up via Wi-Fi to a central mind that tells them all what to do. But no two individuals have the same task, just like human beings. That's why we are so intent on encouraging people to go within, to, uh, to seek that still small voice. I was even challenged by someone saying, well, you know, you ought to be very careful because there are a lot of people who hear lots of voices inside. And, and I'm going, well, okay, that's more the exception to the rule than the rule. Um, but um, I'm curious, from your standpoint, Julie, <clears throat> what, uh, how do you know that the voice you're hearing is one that you, deep down in your own heart, know is shall we say, the divine or your higher self or your intuition, etc.? Oh, this is a good question. And there's a chapter in my book on this. Thank <laughs> you for asking it. <laughs> it's so funny because I, yeah, I don't get to say that very often. Um, because there are so many different ways to tune into and tap into that intelligence and our intuition. And we label that in so many different ways. But for me, the bottom line, to just bottom line it right now, Richard, is throughout my life, when that voice, the still small voice of truth with a capital T comes through, it's a voice I just hear that's out of nowhere. It's like, it's not like I'm ruminating over a question or an answer or I'm arguing with what I hear in my mind. It's not the ego trying to make sense of something. It comes in with clarity and it just drops in in a wholeness and a completeness. And it's, it's, this, it's a voice of, of love and it's undeniable. So for example, we go through our days and we might be looking around the world and we're trying to interpret and we're like making sense. And so we're having a conversation with people or we're, you know, we're driving, following the rules of the road or whatever. But when this voice comes in, it comes in with pristine clarity and it might come out of the blue. Hmm. That's how I know that it's truth. It's like, I'm, so for example, like right now I'm looking out my window and I see all this green and there's green trees, the wind's blowing, there's bushes, there's grass, there's plants, there's all this stuff coming in. And all of a sudden something totally different, say a, um, there is no road out there. And all of a sudden I hear red trucks are divine, you know, something totally bizarre and different. But when it's that different from my normal state of consciousness, when it comes in, in a different wholeness, in this different piece of of where my wandering mind may be going, it comes in as truth. It's that still small voice whispering mm. and it's whispering in such volume and clarity that it can't be denied. And we encourage people to get to that place where you cannot deny what you're hearing. And uh, though I, I used to say this more facetiously, I do not anymore uh, because it used to come off a little angry <laughs> and that is if if you're if you're going to listen to the still small voice follow it because if you're not going to follow it what's the point of listening i mean and there is some truth in that 
But that's what it's there for. It's there to guide you. And one of the things I've learned, uh, Julie, and I'm sure you've learned it too, is it will never put you in harm's way. It might challenge you by directions that it takes you, okay, for the purposes of your learning, your growing, your evolution or transformation. But it's not going to have you walk off a cliff, you know. Yeah. It may Unless, challenge you. Yeah. yeah. It may oh. stretch you. It may get uncomfortable. It mm-hmm. may, yeah, 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 all of the above. Uh, although I will say that uh, back in 2006 when my wife and I had to make a decision as to what we were going to do next since both of us were unemployed, um, uh, she came to me and she asked me on March 1st of 2006, she says, I'm scared. I feel like we're on the edge of a precipice. Well, I myself... Having done all of the wonderful uh, study, research, reading, interviewing, and so forth, I said, well, you know, they say that if you come to the uh, to the edge of a cliff, there are two things. You, you do two things. First is you jump. The second is you trust. And we did, and that's why we're here today. And I think that the jumping part is a little difficult, but sometimes you have to trust that, oh, yeah, this is the right way to go. I will be taken care of. I mean, I like going back to that one biblical passage in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about the birds of the air, you know, the birds in the nests, how they're, they don't toil, they don't work, and yet they're taken care of. They're, they, they're fed and so on and so forth. Um, so how much more will the Creator take care of you? You're, you're His children. My goodness. Don't worry. And I've gotten to that place where... Uh, no matter what happens, uh, whether it's uh, I'm involved in a non-injury car accident that ends up allowing us to buy a truck that we've been wanting for years. And the next step was then, of course, a year later, less than a year later, buying a travel trailer so we can do some traveling, which we've already done. Um, or in the case of our winding up in Santa Barbara. I mean, what's the where's the good out of losing your job? Well, but. You know that old Chinese uh, a proverb or, or a story about the farmer and his son and the neighbor comes over each day asking how things are going and the, fa- the farmer tells him a different story each time that's successive in terms of uh, the events that are happening and, and each day it's either good or it's bad and the farmer keeps telling him, well, who's to say it's good? Who's to say it's bad? Um, that's where the trust comes in, you know? That yeah. we, we just we just try to stay in the flow. And I know that's hard. Have you found that uh, in, in your life that uh, you you've, you've just know that you're in the right place at the right time? Oh, absolutely. Those, those pieces of synchronicity uh, with the universe, it, it goes back to that idea of co-creating. I'm co-creating this life. I'm co-creating this experience. And I'm, you know, we're making up all this anyway, right? Going mm-hmm. back to those beliefs. And so that that place of the precipice of, of jumping is, is that place of grace where the trust, I, I would put the trust first, like looking at the precipice, I could sit there and I can argue with it. And if I'm going to dr- jump, I want the trust first and the grace knowing that, that un, unimaginable things lie ahead of me. So in that place, we're turning that trust into action. Like you're saying, we're taking that still small voice and we're making it be an embodied expression of our own in this time as we're birthing this divine human. No longer do we listen for that voice that's outside of ourselves that says, God has a plan. And so I'm waiting for God's plan. It's like really understanding that God and you 
are the plan and that wisdom is within and you're guided. Your cells know how to do everything they're doing mm-hmm. because they have that sense of grace and trust. The cell doesn't stop. The liver doesn't say, I'm going to quit cleaning up your blood because um, you're not listening to me, heart. It all does its own work for mm-hmm. the good of the whole. Mm-hmm. So when we come into that place of, of synchronicities, we understand that the universe has our back. Yeah. And the still small voice is not only a place of comfort, but it's the roadmap. It's the roadmap. And we can take that one step or one leap at a time, knowing that um, we're okay and we're going to make it. You know, I use the example of our military. Uh, In the military, when you uh, are part of this body of uh, men and women, um, you no longer function in a democracy. You can't. Because if every individual said, I'm going to do my own thing, you, first of all, would never go to battle. And second of all, you'd never win, even if you did go to battle. So then I ask the question about the cells of the body. Under what ism, under under what principle do the cells, the trillions of cells that are continually regenerated, what what system, shall we say, of government do they function under? Well, it isn't. It is. We already said it's not democracy. It certainly isn't socialism or communism, uh, but it's interdependentism, as you just said. That if if they don't function in a cohesive manner. In spite of some of the invading forces that do come, they do come, uh, as we know with the uh, COVID-19, for example, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you, you would lose every time. I mean, it w- there would be no, you, your body would cease to exist. Yeah. I'm wondering, th- go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to throw in a, a new term into this conversation, uh, which is the understanding and the exploration of superorganisms. We have so many models of this on our planet and our body is a superorganism, but yet humanity is a superorganism mm-hmm. as just like mushrooms and, and bees and ants. We have this superorganism, which is trusting that designing intelligence. Like we we're talking about understanding collective intelligence within us, within the organism of, of the different pieces and parts and trusting the distributed leadership. That not only are we self-organizing and um, and self-regulating as a part of the whole, we're learning how to be in distributed learning, our leadership. So that just like your example, Richard, the the heart's doing its thing, and mm-hmm. it's doing its thing really well, while the liver's doing its thing, and there's no questioning, and the liver doesn't tell the heart how to do it. The liver doesn't tell the heart how to beat and what to do, and the heart doesn't tell the the eyes how to see they're all working toward the good of the whole mm-hmm. in distributed mm-hmm. leadership of trusting the impulse of evolution the impulse of creation that's yeah. moving us all just like you said that example of the the galactic where we're all giving our assignment mm-hmm. but we don't know what the, i don't know what your assignment is and you don't know what my assignment is we're getting a feel for our assignments as we're coming together in this conversation and deepening into these concepts we kind of get like oh wow I understand where you're coming from, Richard, and I and I I love it and and I respect it and I honor it. But that's a piece of of this super organism that we are as the divine human now that we're moving into distributed leadership, learning how to honor, respect, 
love and adore each and every one of us in our individual assignments, that galactic piece <laughs> that you brought through is such a good metaphor because I don't know your assignment, but I can sure honor you in your differences and we can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. Everybody's vision is different because everybody's task is different, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't collaborate along the way as, as we're doing here, for example. Um, I remember when Steve Jobs passed, I thought, oh, Apple's in trouble now because that was Steve Jobs' vision. It wasn't the next guy in line. But somehow this person had enough of an understanding of Jobs' a vision that he's kept it moving forward. And so it's not impossible for us to pick up on another person's vision, if you will. But uh, we have to remember that we have our own. And uh, this, to me, it's it's really fascinating. I wish we had more time. I would love to continue this conversation. And you know what? We're going to because we're going to have you back uh, to talk more about this and the work that you're doing. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and sharing your insights from your uh, latest work, which is Fractured Grace. We certainly hope that people will pick up a copy of the book and uh, and begin the process of their own transformation uh, to uh, uh, to a place where uh, they can continue to uh, grow and evolve and so forth. This particular book is the 2019 Nautilus Grand and Gold Award winner, number one international best-selling, uh, best-selling book in seven categories, folks. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. And again, the title of the book is, of course, as we've been telling you, A Fractured Grace. It's by Dr. Julie Krull. And I want to thank you again for joining us. And when we get the chance to move about and travel hither and yon, would love to either A, have you in studio or out at the beach, sitting on a couple of beach chairs, recording with the digital recorder, or we'll jump in the travel trailer and uh, come your way uh, to do an interview in that context as well. But again, we would love to continue this conversation. I would too, Richard. Thank you. It's been really a delight. And um, I really applaud you for bringing these conversations um, out for the world, for the good of the whole. I really appreciate the new paradigm for a new world. I'm all in. And thank you so much for allowing me the time here today. Absolutely. I do have three final questions for you, as I do my, every one of my guests. But I do want to remind our listeners that the program's here at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays, 1 a.m. Monday mornings, streaming live at those times, podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. And we also encourage you, if you can, support us financially. You like what we're doing. You like the guests we have on the program who are helping all of us to move forward in our lives, to raise the consciousness uh, of us individually as well as collectively and you can do so we have a paypal and patreon account links are on the home page and the missions page and uh, we thank you for supporting us for those who have and for those who will again i thank you thank you thank you all right let's get to those three final questions here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world the first is who is julie krull mm. You know what? I'm preparing for a wedding ceremony and I have been sitting in silence of what am I going to say to this bride and the groom? And what came through is that you are love. You, you don't have love. You are love. You are love expressing itself as Andrew and Lacey. So I'm going to answer that question by saying I am love 
expressing itself as Julie Kroll. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Mm. Wow. The hope, the want um, of the work that I'm doing right now is to gently provide a space that's safe where people can expand into a greater awareness of who they be as divine humans on this planet. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Uh, My life's purpose is to express that love that I be in all of its different forms. And I could go on and on about what that looks like for conscious evolution and all these things. But really, when we're looking at all the crisis and chaos on the planet and that this crisis is our birth, I would just stop at that of saying it literally is to be this embodied expression of that love. Well, bridging worlds and navigating limited space during times of conscious change. And I like the way that is phrased as to, as opposed to saying, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hang in there, folks. It uh, I want to say it's going to get better. What I am going to say is it's going to change. And I think you're going to like the changes. I really do. Just be patient. Patience is not one of our strong suits as humanity, but change is an inevitability because just look in the universe. Look at the cellular level. Everything is moving and changing, and so are we. And we hope that we are doing it in such a way that we can transform the world and make it a a, a wonderful, fabulous place for everybody, not just a select few, but for everybody. I want to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lull.